thanks guys. Thanks for leading us in such uh, great worship as we uh, sing that glorious song right at the end there that I will rise and that's uh, very fitting today as we uh, have our baptismal service. Um, my name is Todd Hall, I'm the lead pastor here at Exchange which is a great privilege and a great pleasure and just in case you're new here for the first time I want to say welcome to you as well and you're wondering where am I, let me tell you where you are. You're in a church that's not perfect and you're amongst the, you're amongst the people that are not perfect but we serve a perfect saviour in Jesus Christ and we are being remade back into his image as we look to him and uh, hear his word and allow his spirit to bring that to life in our hearts. So uh, we're glad you're here and we welcome you here today. We just uh, pray now that you'll worship with us as we open up God's word. A couple of things though before we get there. I was saying the other week about our preaching program, our evangelistic program for the next couple of weeks. If you want to throw that first image up there, thanks Kath. So as of uh, next week, we're doing what we call Defeater Beliefs here at Exchange over the next... Uh, say four or five weeks, a few questions there that we're going to talk about. Defeated beliefs is when you might be having a gospel conversation with somebody and they just say, well, what about this? You know, it's sort of like it's, like it's meant to just kill the conversation, like you've got no comeback there. So there's a few questions um, we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Uh, and then beyond that, Kath, the next one. Uh, we have the Queen's Garden open air service uh, Easter Sunday down there about 300 metres down the right hand side. And then, uh, beyond, so we're going to make that a great opportunity to invite your friends along to that. We'll have a barbecue there and a uh, coffee van as well, which will all be on site to uh, help us celebrate together. And uh, beyond that, April 19th, next Sunday, we're going to start a uh, book on work through the book of Colossians. That gives you a bit of an idea where we're going as well. Plus, if you are thinking about, hey, I've got somebody who's actually investigating Jesus or thinking about it or having a conversation uh, with them, going to run a Life Explored course in April as well. So that just sort of helps you sort of see where we'll be over the next uh, couple of months. Today, though, um, we are looking at Romans chapter 6, uh, 1 to 11, as we think about baptism. So if you want to get your Bibles and go there, feel free to do that. And I'm going to start this up as well. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 through to 11. Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we believe... If we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Our Lord, thank you for your precious, living, eternal word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have today to pick up uh, your word and to begin to read it. And we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, breathe life into this word, fill our hearts with the gospel, fill our hearts with Jesus Christ. And Lord, today for those who are not yet believers in him, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that miracle today to open up their eyes to see the wonder and the glory of Christ and to really know life in all of its fullness and truth as we discover who Jesus is. Lord, we ask that now in your name. Amen. Okay, this is a great day of celebration for us to have people go through uh, the waters of baptism. Really, it's a marvellous picture of the gospel and its power working in people's lives. Uh, I, love, I love seeing the gospel go deeper in people's lives because it really is a place where they begin to really experience what life is all about in all of its fullness and joy and liberty as Jesus begins to go deeper and deeper into our hearts. Uh, today we're going to unpack baptism, but we're also going to link it in with our final piece of our vision plan 2025. This is a plan we've been unfolding over the month of February. And uh, today, with baptism, this is the sort of fruit that we actually want to see come out of this vision plan. We've been doing this for the last four weeks, talking about making disciples uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ and making disciples in him. Uh, And so we are really keen to see this plan work itself out in this type of fruit, people being baptised. To unpack baptism, though, we want to go to Romans 6. But to really understand Romans 6, we need to put some context or fill in the gaps around about it. Because when you see a statement there like Paul in the first verse, you might say, What's Paul talking about? Well, this is a long letter that Paul's writing, so it all sort of fits together. So we want to put some context in there, because he says there in that first verse, so what shall we say then? Are we we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? What Paul is doing, he's moving into a discussion where we'll see uh, sin defeated and dethroned, but also it's a beautiful picture here of being united, being united indivisibly with Jesus Christ. The surrounding context, or to fill in the gaps around here in chapter 6, really comes from the preceding two chapters, chapters 4 and chapters 5. These two chapters is a long discussion of Paul's there on how we are justified or how we are made right before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now this is a major contention in Paul's day, that thought of being made right by our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. All the religious people of of Paul's day uh, based their religion on works. You earn your right standing with God by obeying all of his law and putting that into practice in your life. It it is much to say, if I do enough good things before God, he'll give me a pass, as it were, to get into heaven. And many people often think that. If you say, how will you go to heaven? Because I'm a good person. If I just do enough good things. Well, this is the contention here uh, that Paul was having with them. Because Paul comes along with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where God has revealed that all are justified, all made right with God, not by obeying the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. Because nobody can perfectly obey the law. But Jesus did. So that's how we are made right. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's not by the works of the law. Now, one of the issues here that sprung out of this um, contention with these guys was, as they put up this opposition to Paul, was that if we take this faith path and not this obedience path, which they would have been building their lives upon, if we take this faith path, there'll be no incentive to live a holy life. Like, it'll be just, you know, free for all. If it's only grace working through faith, well, then people will just live this unrestrained, 
life of sinful activity and sinful works. Or they'll intentionally just keep on sinning, just expecting God's grace to keep forgiving them in this way. If God so easily forgives sin, well, I'll just keep on sinning and I'll just keep asking God to forgive me with no real intention to live a life that pleases God. So this is why Paul has this question here. Why not just keep sinning? Because he's, he's thinking what's in your mind here, uh, as in his hearers, so that God's grace can just excuse it all away. So that's why Paul puts this question out. He's trying to answer a question they've got potentially rolling around in their mind. So here's the issue. Uh, a sinful heart is way more deceptive and corrupting of our lives than we'll ever, ever imagine. Sin is every human being's primary core problem and core issue. It's not outside of me, it's actually inside of me. That's the issue. Here's the cure. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only antidote to a sinful heart. There is no other cure for a sinful heart. It's only Jesus Christ and it's only the gospel. Now with that in mind, I think it's a good question to ask ourselves here, just what is sin? that Paul's talking about, why not just keep on sinning so graceful? I mean, just what is sin? We won't do a, a detailed sort of look at it here, but we'll just give, we'll open this picture up somewhat. In its very essence, sin, in its very essence, is a failure to live the life that God has intended us to live. God's created us and he's intended us to live in a certain way. Sin, in its essence, is a failure to not live that life according to God's way. God created Adam and Eve, and the picture we get there of that initial relationship with Adam and Eve there in the garden with God is a personal, loving communion with God. You read there about God walking in the cool of the evening, as it were, like walking with Adam and Eve and talking with them in this intimate, personal relationship. And you see Adam, well, you'd imagine, sorry, Adam and Eve responded there by willingly and lovingly obeying God and in his personal communion relating with God as their maker and doing this gladly. But things changed. Then Adam and Eve broke that relationship when they willingly disobeyed God and then by disobeying God, they failed to live the way God had intended them to live. In essence, that is where sin entered into the world. The Bible also uses other words to describe sin as well. It's such as missing the mark. I just didn't quite get to where I should have been, as in didn't live the way I should have. Fail, fall short, uh, evil, transgress, lawlessness, revolt, rebel, wickedness, and breaking God's commandments. All those words are describing, in a sense, a failure in a way to live uh, the way God intended us to, to love God supremely in our lives. Now, there's sin as actions, but sin is something else more than just actions as well, as we understand what sin is to sort of see where Paul's going here with that. When we lie, which is one of the actions of sin, we do sin. We fail to live as God intended us to live. But we don't just tell a lie once, do we? We often tell a lie and then another lie and another lie, and we tell multiple lies sometimes. If you're really in a corner and you think the only way out is to tell lies, you tend to tell lots of lies to do that. What we're doing there is we're developing a pattern of lying or dishonesty. It's not just a once-off action, it's a pattern that's happening. You see, sin is also a condition. It's not just a one-off thing that happens or takes place. Sin is a condition of our heart. It's like a disease. A sin is like a cancer that invades our whole person, our whole being. 
Every aspect of who we are is impacted by this sinful, fallen nature. Doesn't matter who we are or what we've done or what we are doing, sin is in every aspect of our lives. We sin with our thinking. We fail to live the way God called us to live with our thinking. We see a, uh, a sexually charged image and then we indulge ourselves with sinful thinking about sexual things. We sin with our emotions. We get angry. We get so angry we want to hurt people. I wanted to hurt somebody the other day. I pulled into a petrol station and I had to wait behind a vehicle that was filling up and I thought, oh, well, there's no one there at the bows and no one in the car. He must have been inside paying the bill, so I'm waiting there, waiting there. And people are coming out and getting the other cars and they're all driving off and thinking, when is this guy coming? And three minutes later, he gets out of the car. He's been on the telephone or something like that. I wish my car was a bulldozer at that point, like I just push him out of the road. We sin with our emotions. It just happens. Uh, we sin with our words and actions. We let those emotions go to the next level and we do hurtful things, aggressive things. It's in every aspect of who we are. Sin is a condition of our heart. I did repent later and just say, Lord, please let me learn patience. Let me learn patience. And we're taken willing captives by it. That's what happens with us in this fallen nature. Here's how God sees it in Genesis chapter 6 to give a, a picture here of the condition of the heart. Genesis 6, 5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, so that's every intention, not some of the intentions, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Very comprehensive. It's pervaded every aspect of who we are. Sin. The failure to live the way God has intended us to live is the root cause of every problem we see and experience in this world. For those of you who have been following the news, you'll see this uh, Harvey Weinstein, is Weinstein, Weinstein uh, is in Rikers Jail there in New York City. Why is he there? He failed to live the way God intended Harvey to live. What did he do? He saw women as sexual objects and not human beings made in the image of God. He failed to live the way God intended us to live. So Paul asks this question here in question one, why not keep sinning? Why not keep living that way, not the way God wants us to live, so that grace will just keep somewhat excusing us, so we can just live in our wanton desires without any restraint, and God's grace will just continue to wash over us. Paul answers for us in the very next verse and says this in verse 2. He says, by no means, that is not what God is intending for us, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's very emphatic here. This is not the way God intends us to live. The question to ask ourselves as we think about that is this. What does this word or this group of words here mean? We who died to sin. What's Paul meaning and thinking when he says that to the Romans and he says that to us today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? This actually introduces the gospel. This introduces the good news of what God has done to us to heal us of our sinful hearts from this cancerous condition of evil that has pervaded every aspect of who we are. What has God done? God has sent his son Jesus to break sin's power over our humanity and restore us to the life that we are intended to live before God as his creations. Now Jesus does that by paying sin's penalty at the cross. He dies in our place as our substitute 
sitting in our place, bearing upon himself all of my guilt, all of our guilt, all of our condemnation, all of our sin as a sin offering before God. Jesus, uh, sorry, God's justice was fully satisfied. His right justice was fully satisfied uh, by the perfect life and death of Jesus himself. So now by faith, as Paul's been saying in Romans 4 and 5, we have access to that forgiveness for all of our sin, for all of our failure, for all of time, to now then live the way God has intended us to live. Now I've just said that perhaps in about 150 words. What I've spoken about there is what we would call being born again. Now what we don't see, we we probably see it about half of 1%, of just what a massive miracle that is, what we call regeneration, being totally renewed. It happens instantaneously when the Holy Spirit comes and, as it were, opens our eyes up to see who Jesus is and to believe what he's done for us. We actually go from, as it were, darkness to light. Darkness is in, I just can't see anything about this, Jesus. The Holy Spirit does this miracle within us and I believe. I believe who he is. It's the miracle of the new birth. The Bible doesn't use the word regeneration, but we call it regeneration. Uh, Regenerated with a new heart. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can do this, to give us this new heart. Our sinful, corrupt heart is now renewed with a new heart. A heart that now desires to live for God the way we are supposed to live. Our internal, our, our inner core person, our heart, the part that you can't see, the, the, as we saw in the parenting course on Wednesday night, it's the causal um, part of our bodies that sort of makes these decisions. This part has now been totally renewed by God and we are now inclined to want to do what God wants us to do. Previously we didn't want to, we just wanted to live life our own way and just go off in our own merry little dance. But now we're inclined to do what God wants us to do. And in this supernatural work we get to understand here by what Paul means when he says, we who died to sin. Because we sort of can't see exactly what he maybe is getting at there in those words. But it's this, it's this. Sin, in its condition, right through us, every part of us, sin once had lordship over our lives. We were sort of, uh, sort of running to the master of sin as it were, controlling our lives. We simply followed the sinful inclination of our heart. Sin ruled us as a lord, as it were. If, if an evil thought came, we might try, you know, in our conscience that God's given to us, we might think it's wrong, but uh, blow you conscience and off we go. We just, we just did it. Sin was ruling over us. It was, it, we were enslaved to it. But now, through the new birth, through regeneration, through this miracle that God does and opens up our eyes, we see Jesus. The gospel comes to light. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has now broken the lordship of sin, trying to rule over our lives. And in Paul's words, we are now dead to the sin's lordship. We we who have died to sin, we've now dead to the lordship of sin over our lives. Again, it no longer rules over us. Like before, when it did rule over us, it no longer rules over us. Where once I easily and willingly uh, followed sin's desires, I now have a heart that resists. It fights. It pushes back. It doesn't want to be involved in that. And sure, there's sometimes we do stumble and fall and we still sin. 
But we're doing it now from a point of conviction, and I don't want to do this. There's now some fight there within me to resist this sinful work in my lives. We have a new Lord in our life. It's not the Lord of sin, it's the Lord of life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He rules over my life. He restores me. He now fills me with peace, joy and hope in believing and following him. And he gives me the strength to engage in this fight now against sin. The Spirit gives me the strength every day to live for the glory of God, to make God look great, to live the way he's intended me to live and to not live the other way of just ruling myself and doing my own things. Now, this is where Paul is going here in this passage as he answers, as he answers this question. He picks it up very well here in verse 5. He gives us here this image of being united with Jesus, united with him in death and united with him in life. Uh, this image here is one of being, as it were, implanted, entwined, like really closely entwined, like you are united with Jesus himself. It's a bit like a tree that's been grafted. Now, when you, when you graft the tree, you get this little stick, uh, we call that the sign because I'm orchardist as well. You, call, you get this stick called the sign and you cut a little slot and you drop that stick in and what happens then, that stick receives the life of the roots of that tree. It's been grafted in. The stick receives its nourishment now uh, from the life flow that comes from the roots of this tree. Just the same as, as it is with Jesus, when, we're, when we are united to him, we are now tapped into an entirely new life flow. Not our old life flow, but a new life flow. And this life flow of Christ in the gospel, it works in us now to defeat sin, to overpower sin and in all of its destructive works in our lives. We are united with Jesus and his life flow now enables us to live the life to honour and glorify God with this new life flow uh, flowing through us. Let's see where Paul goes with this in a few verses here in this passage. Firstly, in uh, verse 10, uh, Paul's telling us sin is defeated. Sin is defeated. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he now lives, he lives to God. The key words there for us are once for all. It's a once for all death. Sin has been entirely defeated by Jesus Christ. He has come and defeated in one devastating blow. In one perfect life, he has entirely defeated all of what sin has done in us. The one perfect death of Jesus has made all imperfect people who put their trust in him now perfect before God in God's eyes. That we are robed, as it were, or clothed in the perfection of who Jesus is. Sin has been defeated. Absolutely, emphatically without one millimeter being left over. All because, also because we are united with Christ, we are part of that victory. That victory is ours as well, united in him. Sin is also dethroned. It's also dethroned in our life. Look in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Aren't they beautiful words there? No longer enslaved to sin. That's what I said before. Sin was our Lord. It was our tyrant. We were enslaved to it. But Paul's saying now, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Once we were slaves. 
but now through the power of Jesus Christ and being united to him, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We're not at its beckon and call. Now that's really good news. Because sin is enslaving. Sin is such a binding thing that depending on the habit you may have in life, it can just absolutely trap you. I know people that are filled with lust in their lives and now with this, this um, thing called lust, it, it leaves them guilt-ridden and broken and they just feel trapped and bound up by this thing. But the gospel comes in through the power of Jesus Christ with its unstoppable power and it breaks that slavery. It breaks those chains. It releases. No longer to be enslaved, but now free. Free to serve Christ and free to enjoy him. This is the new heart that the Spirit gives to us through the new birth experience, through regeneration, through being justified, made right with God, through Jesus and what he's done for us. It's now the Lordship of Christ who so powerfully works within us to break these chains. So Paul rounds this out for us here in verse 11. Look what he says here. So, this is sort of the end of the argument, or the end of the discussion. So, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul's encapsulating here again. So we must consider ourselves dead, dead to the lordship of sin and now alive, now alive to the lordship of God through being united to Jesus Christ. Now for Paul's mind, and he's absolutely right because he's inspired by the Spirit here, that's all the motivation you need to live a holy life because you have a new life flow flowing through you. And you do want to obey the law of God, not to earn salvation, but you want to obey the law of God now to live a life that honours him and glorifies him. So we don't do away with the law in the sense, oh, well, it's totally irrelevant, as in God's commandments and God's truths here. We, we now have this new heart, no, 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 I want to live like that. Because this new life flow says, I want to glorify him. So Paul's saying, don't get bound up thinking that's what you've got to do to earn salvation. It's by faith in Christ alone and what he's done and through grace. But now because of that, you want to live that way. And that is all the incentive you need to live a holy and pleasing life. Now, as we just sort of change gears here with this, we're having a baptismal service today. And you may be asking, what is baptism all about? Is it some sort of secret initiation? Is it some sort of rite of passage, you know, that you've got to, got to get, how do you do that? Is that the Star Trek one? You've got to, is it some sort of, you know, what is this, some special thing? I oh, know, I can't get the finger to go across there like that. Is it that? What is baptism? Well, firstly, Jesus commands us to do that. Uh, Matthew 28, we looked at that uh, last week, and uh, where Jesus tells his disciples, go and make other disciples, teaching them all I've commanded you. And he says then next, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a commandment of Jesus, commandment of obedience uh, to follow in the waters of baptism. Baptism is also, though, a sacrament or a ceremony that is actually saying something with the action that it undertakes. There's something very significant here that we're saying uh, about baptism when we do that. And if you've noticed in this passage, it's here as well in these few verses that we've got. Have a look in verses 3 and 4 where Paul brings it in for us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
this whole thought here in verses 1 to 11, Paul's sort of picking up in verses 3 and 4. Can you see what baptism is here with Paul? Can you see what it is, what Paul's saying it is? It's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? That's what it is. It's a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. When a person becomes a Christian, they're acknowledging that Jesus died for my sins. They're identifying that Jesus took their place in that death upon that cross. They're also recognising that Jesus rose from the grave to give them new life, to now live the way God has intended us to live. That's what baptism is. It's a picture of the gospel. And what's going to happen shortly out the, in the car park there is something that has been celebrated for thousands and thousands of years. This is not something that's occurred in 2020, the first time. It's something that's been celebrated for thousands and thousands of years. It's a very vivid public confession, public demonstration of a person's faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying this, I belong to Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Saviour. And when they go down into the waters of baptism, they're identifying with Christ and signifying a death to their old life. It's a death to how I, I just, I'm not going to live that way any longer. And I'm signifying by going down into the waters that I'm uniting myself to Christ and I'm dying to that old life. And when they rise up out of the waters of baptism, they're signifying a rising to a new life. It's a very vivid picture here of what takes place. Dying in one sense, but rising to new life in another sense. And that now I live gladly under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Saviour. It's a very public demonstration of the gospel. In fact, it's so public and so real that if you live in some persecuted countries, some families don't mind you being a Christian, but the moment you get baptised is when your death threats come upon you. It is such a real and vivid picture of the gospel. This is what baptism means for some people when they see that in other countries. They say, no, this is, this is reality. You have really now staked your claim on Jesus Christ. So it's a very vivid picture here of the gospel that Paul's trying to give to us. It's a cause for celebration. It's a real deep cause for celebration. It's the gospel at work. It's the power of Jesus Christ transforming a life out of darkness and into light from death to life. It's just a cause for celebration. There's a person now who's being set free from sin, no longer under the lordship of sin, that's, that is now bringing them to a glorious new living and loving relationship with Jesus Christ that's being united in him. It's a cause for celebration and it's a cause for worship because Jesus is glorious, Jesus is powerful, and the gospel truly saves. Now, Another segue here, this picture of the gospel transformation is what we're all about here at EC. Here at Exchange, we want to see people growing in Christ and being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we put together this vision plan for Vision Plan 2025, because we want to see heaps and heaps and heaps of people going through the waters of baptism. I want to see Simon set that pool up every second week if we could do that out there. Took a bit of mucking around to get there. It's okay though, girls, the pool's got water and it's all going to be good. But we want to see lots of that. We want to see lots of baptisms, lots of baptisms, because we want to see people publicly demonstrating their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the last elements here of our uh, vision plan for 2025 is we want to initiate today uh, is this. 
We've now been meeting here in this temporary premises for nearly nine years. This is our third building over the past nine years. And we thank God for his provision here in, in enabling us to meet. It's a real blessing. Uh, but every Sunday we have people who are labouring together and working by setting up and packing down for the best part of nine years now. We've been putting chairs out and doing all that and it's been great and joyful but it's also pretty hard at the same time because someone goes and gets a trailer early on and brings it here, like at about probably 8 o'clock to here and everything's getting pulled out and stuff's going everywhere. You can see leads. This is not all here when you first arrive and it's all here about 8 o'clock and it's just happening. Anyway, uh, it's a tiring thing to do. It's a tiring thing to do as we keep doing that. But we're extremely thankful for the generous and hardworking people who help us here at Exchange uh, to do that. It's all a part of the work that contributes to the gospel. So we're also now involved in putting on more training and helps for people to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ here in the gospel at the Senior Centre here as well. We're currently running a 10-week parenting course to equip parents as disciples to make little disciples of their children. Also, as you saw before, we've planned a Life Explored course to take place in April as well, which, which takes place over about six weeks. Also, we have ministry teams that meet here regularly to encourage each other and sharpen each other uh, in the skills of growing disciples. All of this requires booking with COGS, City of uh, Greater Shepherd and Council. And those bookings are getting more and more difficult as we try and do those sort of things. Those involved with the parenting course know that Sometimes we're Tuesday nights, sometimes we're Wednesday nights. We're trying to work around all these other community groups that are actually trying to use this same space and same venue at the same time. It makes things difficult. Even some Sundays, we need to share the building. We have a different group out in the lounge area and we're sort of in here and we sort of can't do our kids on those Sundays. It's difficult. On top of that, we're fast reaching capacity here in this uh, building as well. We're probably 10, 15 people off maxing out here in this building. On top of that, again, we've had an uh, independent church review completed recently by Reach Australia, where they come down in October last year and did a whole sort of review of, of what we're doing as a church. And one of their observations is, uh, from this independent review, is the current building is an obstacle for continued gospel growth. They're saying the setup of the building isn't conducive uh, for long-term gospel growth. So with all that in mind, one of our goals is to be in a permanent home of our own building that we can set up and use as a permanent place by 2025. We believe a gospel ministry centre, another word of saying building, but we said that's what's the building for, it's for gospel ministry. We believe a gospel ministry centre will play an important part in growing disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe a gospel ministry centre will be important for a base to house all types of ministries, again, to help see people grow as disciples in Jesus Christ. So today... Today, we want to put on the radar and launch a Gospel Ministry Centre fund to begin to collect monies to purchase land and build or to refurbish an existing building to make Exchange Church a permanent home. This is something we've been thinking about for a while and we got together with our elders, our board and our ministry leaders last year and signed off on a document to say this is one of the places we believe that we need to go in this direction. So we're asking today in this initial stage of just putting it on the radar that you prayerfully consider what you can give uh, financially over and above your general giving, not part of your general giving, but over and above your general giving towards a gospel ministry centre. What will take place is we are going to set up a new bank account, a new bank account number that you can specifically place these funds into. It's not ready yet, but Doug's working on that with our bank to have that uh, in place. 
And we'll be saying more about this in the oncoming months as well to give you more information about that. And certainly if you have any questions about that in any way, uh, please feel free to come and see myself or any of the guys uh, on the board as well. That was the last aspect we wanted to, as it were, uh, open up with our vision plan. But what drives this gospel ministry centre? What's the motivator behind this? What's the thing that pushes this along and, and moves us? Well, it's going to get back to the same thing about baptism because that's what it is all about. It's all about the gospel and it's all about the person of Jesus Christ as our primary driving motivating factor. Making and growing disciples in Jesus, seeing him uh, come in and transform lives and just see the joy that comes out of that as people fully and truly come alive in Christ. We long to see Jesus lifted up through the gospel and see hundreds, hundreds of more people go through the waters of baptism to see and discover who Jesus is. That drives everything we do. Please join with me now as I pray. Father, we uh, give you thanks and we give you praise today that we can uh, come and gather around your word. And particularly as we look at Romans 6, we see, Lord, uh, just this beautiful picture here of what the gospel does. Transforms our lives and gives us this whole new life flow that we are united with Christ and in him. And that, Lord, this life flow empowers us to live a life that glorifies you but also enjoys you, revels in you despite the challenges and the hardship we go through. And Father, we thank you that we can see that also uh, vividly demonstrated through the waters of baptism. God, a, a glorious thing you've asked us to do, to walk in obedience before you, to, to really make this public confession, this public demonstration that I belong to Christ, that I've died to my old life and I've risen to a new life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Father, we are so glad and so grateful today that we can do this uh, for a couple of people this morning. We pray, God, that as we just uh, begin to move out there shortly, uh, that, Lord, you'll make this a significant occasion of inspiring us in the gospel as well. Lord, we want to ask that and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.